Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're listening to this, this is From the Top, a podcast for young readers and adults alike, where I, Jake Lewis, will read to you the first chapter and first chapter only of a young adult or middle grade novel. And I hope that you like it so much that you want to rush out right away to your local independent bookstore or public library, get a copy of the book for yourself, and find out what happens next. That is the mission of this show. And I'm so glad that you're joining us for today's episode in which I will be reading you the first chapter or the prologue from the book called The Monstromologist. I had to practice saying that before I started recording. The Monstromologist by Rick Yancey. And it is a perfect read for the Halloween season. So let's get into it without any further ado, shall we? Let's go. We'll start today's show, as we usually do, with Attack of the Blurb. To build anticipation, the Attack of the Blurb is when I give you a few words or phrases that have something to do with this book. And by themselves, they might not seem too connected, might make you ask, what do all these words have in common? How do they connect to the book? Well, that's part of the fun. It's almost like a game. So here is the attack of the blurb for The Monstromologist by Rick Yancey. Assistant. Corpse. Eating. Baby, anthropophagus, headless, and last but not least, consume. That is this week's Attack of the Blurb. What does it all mean? You'll have to read to find out. All right, let's get into the beginning of the Monstromologist by Rick Yancey. As I said at the top of the show, it begins not with chapter one, but with a prologue. And a prologue is a a part of the story that takes place before the main action of the story. So you'll always find it in the beginning of the book. And it is sometimes a a flashback or a, a section of time split off from the main time period of the book. And it tells us right here in the prologue, June 2007. So that's when this takes place. Here we go. The director of facilities was a small man with ruddy cheeks and dark, deep-set eyes, his prominent forehead framed by an explosion of cottony white hair, thinning as it marched toward the back of his head, cowlicks rising from the mass like waves moving toward the slightly pink island of his bald spot. His handshake was quick and strong, though not too quick and not too strong. He was accustomed to gripping arthritic fingers. Right away, we are introduced to this director of facilities, which is just a fancy way of saying he is in charge of a building. He is in charge of some sort of institution, it sounds like. 
And then it describes him. He's got this big, poofy, white hair that's starting to thin, meaning, you know, bald. Uh, it sticks out in different directions. He's kind of small with red cheeks, got a big forehead and a strong handshake, although he normally, when he shakes hands, is gripping arthritic fingers, fingers with arthritis, which usually occurs in older people. So what kind of place is this and who is he? Let's continue. Thank you for coming, he said. He released my hand wrapped his thick fingers around my elbow and guided me down the deserted hallway to his office. Where is everyone? I asked. Breakfast, he said. His office was at the far end of the common area, a cluttered, claustrophobic room dominated by a mahogany desk with a broken front leg that someone had attempted to level by placing a book beneath it and the dingy white carpet. The desktop was hidden beneath listing towers of paper, manila file folders, periodicals, and books with titles such as Estate Planning 101 and Saying Goodbye to the Ones You Love. On their cadenza behind his leather chair sat a framed photograph of an elderly woman scowling at the camera, as if to say, Don't you dare take my picture! I assumed it was his wife. Gonna pause real quick once again. We're getting a little bit more information about this guy. It sounds like he might work in a place where there are older people who, as older people tend to do, die. Because you can see on his desk the book Estate Planning, which just means that when somebody dies, who takes over their estate, meaning where they live or, you know, their money, their belongings. And then there's also the book saying goodbye to the old ones you love, which connects back to why he is accustomed to gripping arthritic fingers. Because he usually uh, has to work with people who are older um, when when others die. And he is a mess. He's very disorganized. Moving on. He settled into his chair and asked, So, how is the book coming? It already came, I answered, last month. I pulled a copy from my briefcase and handed it to him. He grunted, flipped through some pages, his lips pursed, thick brows gathering over his dark eyes. Well, glad to do my part, he said. He held the book toward me. I told him it was his to keep. The book remained between us for a moment as he glanced about the desk, looking for the most stable pile upon which to balance it. Finally, it disappeared into a drawer. It doesn't sound like this old guy likes this book, even though he had some part to play in the book getting made. It sounds like the person who's narrating is a writer, and maybe he interviewed this old guy for the book. Um... But let's find out. I had met the director the year before while researching the second book in the Alfred Crop series. At the climax of the story, the hero finds himself at the Devil's Millhopper, a 500-foot deep sinkhole located on the northwest side of town. 
I had been interested in the local legends and tall tales regarding the site, and the director had been kind enough to introduce me to several residents who'd grown up in the area and who knew the stories of this mythical gateway to hell, now a state park, presumably because the devil had departed, making way for field trippers and hikers. Thank you, he said. I'll be sure to pass it around. I waited for him to go on. I was there on his invitation. He shifted uneasily in his chair. You said on the phone you had something to show me? I gently prodded him. Oh, yes. He seemed relieved and now spoke rapidly. When we found it among his effects, you were the first person I thought of. It struck me as something right up your alley. Found what among whose effects? Will Henry. William James Henry. He passed away last Thursday. Our oldest resident. I don't believe you met him. I shook my head. No. How old was he? Well, we aren't really sure. He was an indigent. No identification. No living relatives. But he claimed to have been born in 1876. I stared at him. That would make him... 131 years old. Ridiculous, I know, the director said. We're guessing he was somewhere in his 90s. In the thing of his you found that made you think of me? He opened a desk drawer and pulled out a bundle of 13 thick notebooks, tied in brown twine, their plain leather covers faded to the color of cream. He never spoke, the director said, nervously plucking at the twine, except to tell us his name and the year he was born. He seemed quite proud of both. My name is William James Henry, and I was born in the year of our Lord, 1876. He would announce to anyone who cared to listen, and anyone who didn't, for that matter. But as to everything else, where he was from, to whom he belonged, how he'd come to the culvert where he was discovered, silence. Advanced dementia, the doctors told me, and I certainly had no reason to doubt it, until we found these wrapped in a towel beneath his bed. I took the bundle from his hand. A diary? I asked. He shrugged. Go on. Open the top one and read the first page. I did. The handwriting was extremely neat, though small the script of someone who had formal schooling when instruction had included lessons in penmanship. I'm going to pause again because just as a little aside, I am old enough to remember when handwriting was taught in school. Can you believe that? You don't see that anymore in school nowadays. Imagine kids who are listening. If you had a class just on handwriting, right? No. I think since computers are now so common, they don't bother with that. But I thought it was useful. Okay, I'm sounding like an old fart. Let's keep reading. I'm sounding like the the, the director here, right? Kind of grumpy and... Where was I? Here we go. I read the first page, then the next, then the following five. Sounds like he likes it. I flipped to a random page, read it twice. While I read, I could hear the director breathing, a heavy, huffing sound, like a horse after a brisk ride. Well, 
he asked. I see why you thought of me, I said. I must have them back, of course, when you're finished. Of course. I'm required by law to keep them in the unlikely event a relative shows up for his things. We've placed an ad in the paper and made all the necessary inquiries, but this sort of thing happens all too often, I'm afraid. A person dies and there is no one in the world to claim them. Sad. I opened another volume to a random page. I haven't read them all. I simply don't have the time. But I am extremely curious to hear what's in them. There may be clues to his past, who he was, where he came from, that sort of thing. Might help in locating a relative. Though, from the little I've read, I'm guessing this isn't a diary, but a work of fiction. I agreed it would almost have to be fiction, based on the pages I'd read. Almost? he asked. He seemed bemused. Well, I suppose nearly anything is possible, though some things are much more possible than others. At this point in the chapter or the prologue, we have a page break where there's a big space between what I just read and what I next read. It's almost like a mini chapter within a chapter. And I'll read the rest of it in just a second. But I want to always think it's a good idea to pause at page breaks and, and think about what you have read or, in this case, heard. We know that we have this writer who is writing a series of books, and the latest book has something to do with an attraction in this town that he's visiting, where it's almost like a gateway to H-E double hockey sticks. I guess I already said it, so I can say it again. A gateway to hell, but now it's just calm and peaceful. It's just a regular park, and people go there, and yada, yada, yada. We know as intelligent human beings and readers, of course, that they're not going to leave it at that, right? That that gateway or park is going to possibly reopen or, or something is going to happen there, okay? And then we have this other guy, Will James, who was just found by a culvert. A culvert is kind of like uh, where uh, one of those big, huge sewer pipes kind of opens up into the open, I guess. So he was found there. He only would say his name and how old he was, which would be impossible. A hundred and something years old, 131 years old, they said, which I don't think anyone has ever lived to be that old. So there's some mystery behind this guy. And you would probably not be incorrect if you said, this guy who just died and left all these journals is going to somehow be connected to that legend of the gateway or that park. Even though they're not connected right now, the author is kind of giving us these clues, these pieces of information that might connect later. Let's finish up the prologue. I took the notebooks home and placed them on top of my writing desk where they stayed for nearly six months unread. I was pressed on a deadline for another book and didn't feel compelled to dive into what I assumed to be the incoherent ramblings of a demented nonagenarian, which means 90-year-old. 
I call that following winter from the director. Let's try that again. Because even readers like me can screw up. And they are too lazy to re-record it. A call that following winter from the director goaded me into unwrapping the frayed twine in a rereading of the first extraordinary few pages. But little progress besides that. The handwriting was so small, the pages so numerous, written on front and back, that I just skimmed through the first volume, noting that the journal seemed to have been composed over a span of months, if not years. The color of the ink changed, for example, from blue to black, and then back to blue again, as if a pen had run dry or been lost. It was not until after the new year that I read the first three volumes in their entirety, in one sitting, from first page to last, the transcript of which follows, edited only for spelling and correction of some archaic uses of grammar. And that is the end of the prologue. So what we have learned here at the end of the prologue is that the story that follows, beginning with chapter one, is what was written in that, at least that first journal. What the writer read, both in the director's office and like a year later. So that is the story, or the lead-in, the prologue to The Monstermologist by Rick Yancey. It is now time for the part of the show called the 321, the part that I'm sure English teachers like the most, because it's something that uh, I know teachers, because I am one, uh, do in their classes sometimes when reading something, in which I'll tell you three things that I liked or just thought about while reading this chapter, because you should be thinking while you're reading. It should be sort of an active activity. And then I will tell you two questions I have, because even a person who reads lots of books or teaches reading should still have questions. Again, it's an active activity. And then we'll wrap it up with one thing I learned. So let's start with three things that I liked or thought about. The first thing I like about this book is the title. Now, I will say that when I'm looking for books in the bookstore or the library, the title is a big deal to me. They say, don't judge a book by its cover. But if I can't read the title, like I can't figure out what it's saying, or I don't know what the words in the title mean, that's already too much work for me. Before I even open the book, I know that while I'm reading, my brain is going to be working and thinking. But before I even open the book, there should be maybe a little bit of thought, but not trying to figure out what the name of the book is. However, in this case, I do like it. And I'll tell you why. I know from all my years of schooling, and you might know this too, that words like this, the monstrumologist, are made up of roots. And without getting too English teachery on you, monstrum, that sounds like monster, right? And ologist is a part of a word that you might know from other words like psychologist, 
Uh, and it usually means a person who studies or practices or works with something. So when we put those two pieces together, monstermologist, we can maybe take an educated guess that the book is going to be about a person who studies or works with or has something to do with monsters. I have not read this book and I'm not even looking at the art on the cover. Uh, so I don't know, but I have a pretty good suspicion I'm on the right track because in that prologue, we heard about this gateway to, to hell and who lives in hell but monsters, or at least that's what we can safely assume. So that is one thing I like about it. And it's just fun to say, monstermologists, give it a try yourself. See, it's fun. The second thing I like about it is this frame. What do I mean by a frame? Think about a picture in a museum. And they usually have a frame around it, holding the picture in. If we think of the story as the picture, then we can think about this prologue as the frame. Because what it is doing is it is giving us a a way into the story. Rick Yancey, the author of this book, could have just started with chapter one, which is really the beginning of that first journal the writer is given by the director. But instead, he gives us this prologue where these journals with the story that we're about to read um, are given to him. And uh, he's just sharing that with us. Maybe this writer in the prologue is Rick Yancey. And what it does is it makes the story maybe feel a little bit more like a true story. Like it could be real. Um, because if Rick Yancey, the author of this book, is just telling us about a time that he went to this facility and uh, was given these journals and he's just kind of sharing it with us, you might think it's true. And after you read it, that might be pretty scary, depending upon what you read. And the third thing I like about this prologue is this guy, Will James, who they call crazy. Now, you shouldn't call anyone crazy, right? Even if they're crazy. Uh, but calling someone crazy is not really uh, a nice thing, certainly. And we're given clues that uh, he might not be all there. And, you know, for being in your 90s, I would probably assume that, uh, you know, your your faculties are starting to fail. So he first says that he's 130 years old. And when someone would tell you that, we'd be like, yeah, sure you are, buddy. And he doesn't really talk except to say that in his name. But he has these books, a collection of notebooks where he's filled up every page front and back. The text is really small and crowded in. And, uh, you know, that is nice, I guess, that he likes to write. Um, but we can already tell as a reader from what the writer here says that whatever he's written in the book does not sound normal. It's not like, oh, I got up one day and had, you know, eggs and bacon for breakfast and then took a walk in the park. No, because this writer, while he's reading it, tells us about how like captivated he is and how unusual it is. Uh, so we go into this, you know, thinking that maybe this guy, this Will James is a little bit, uh, kooky. Um, 
but I have a feeling we're going to find out that what he writes about is true. So those are the three things I liked about the prologue of The Monstermologist. Now it's time for two questions I have after reading that chapter. Readers should question what they read, whether it's something they don't understand. Maybe the information is there and they just have to go back and find it. Maybe it's a question. More often, it's a question that is totally reasonable that the author will hopefully answer at some point later in the book. It's got to be patient and keep your eyes out for it. But the first question I had, I already sort of asked is, how will the story of this guy, Will James, and the opening in the park, if there ever even was one, it's just a legend, a myth, Myth? Myth? Yes? Um, sorry, Muppet movie reference. Um, how will they connect? Will they connect? And will we return to this writer, this frame that I mentioned telling the story? Or from here on out, is it just whatever Will James wrote in his journal? That's my first question. And I don't know if I'm going to get an answer to this one, but what is this place? that we find ourselves in, in the prologue. They call it the director of the facilities. Uh, and again, as I told you before, facilities is just a kind of way to say a, a building or a, a, a institution. Um, is it, well, it's not a school. We definitely know that because there are people who are living there and it seems like they are older people. Seems a little bit like a hospital. Um, maybe it's a, trying to think of the correct way to the politically correct way to say it, but uh, a, a mental institution, I don't know, is, I don't mean to offend anybody who's listening, but because Will James obviously is, you know, not entirely there. Um, the older people there, is it a nursing home? Is that all that it is? It seems a little mysterious. So I'm not quite sure what this place is. It might not be important to the story. Uh, we might get our answer later. So that's what I'm hoping for, but I guess I'll have to read to find out. And finally, the one thing that I learned from reading this chapter, it connects back to one of the things I liked, and that is this frame, this prologue, where we have this writer who is telling us uh, the story that he reads in the journals. And I'll tell you why uh, I'm going to, what I learned from it and what I'm going to do in my own writing. This character, this writer, he doesn't seem to believe what he's reading, which is probably how a lot of us feel when we read a book about monsters and a gateway to hell we're like, yeah, that would never happen. That's not realistic. When you have a character who feels the same way as the as the readers might, that being disbelief or um, being a little bit maybe cynical, not thinking that this is going to be a realistic thing, that's a great way to get into a story because... Already the reader's like, yeah, I, I agree with this character. This, this could not be real. And as the character in the story starts to believe, the reader might too. 
because they started from the same point. So next time I try some writing, I'm going to try to include maybe myself as the character. And that will make it easy for me because I know what I feel and what I believe. So if I write about something like monsters coming to Earth and taking over, the character will be much the same way that I and maybe other readers feel. And for the final segment of our show today, we have the Jake-O-Meter. My name is Jake, and I give this first chapter a score on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being awful. I don't think I've ever felt a book was truly awful, at least not a YA book. Oh, you want to know an awful book? Moby Dick. I, I pray that you guys do not have to read that at any point in your life. And if you parents, whatever out there are fans of Moby Dick, why? All right. So anyway, I'm going to score this prologue uh, from one to 10, 10 being the best. I'm going to give this prologue a seven, which I think so far is the lowest score that I have given to uh, any book since um, inception of the uh, Jacometer. But here's why. I'm not really a fan in general of books about monsters. I guess I'm kind of like the writer character in the beginning here where, you know, I don't I don't believe they exist. I mean, they're fun. Uh, I've read books and seen movies that are about monsters that I have enjoyed, but it's not the sort of book that I would gravitate towards. So even though I was able to figure out from the title what a monstermologist might be, knowing that actually might actually count against me because I'm like, oh, it's about monsters. Never mind. Uh, so maybe if I were coming to it and had no idea what that meant, uh, I would be giving the book more of a chance. So there's that. Uh, and I guess another reason why I gave it a, a 7 out of 10 is because, and this is something silly, but, you know, so be it. I want to know who this director is, like his name. I want to know what this place is. So there is such a thing as leaving things vague or unanswered or having information that's not really important. Um, but I sort of feel like that is important. Maybe not his name, but what this building is, what this facility is, because I think that that would help explain why the writer first came there to interview him, uh, why this guy, Will James, is there. Um, so there might be enough evidence to think it's a nursing home or a hospital of some sort, but I'm not entirely clear. And knowing that would probably help me understand um, the story that I'm about to read. So yeah, seven out of 10, not terrible. I enjoyed it. I would keep reading, um, but not the best. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From the Top. The book was called The Monstromologist by Rick Yancey. I hope you enjoyed it, and maybe you'll find out what happens uh, and let me know. You can send me an email at fromthetopbookcast at gmail.com. I'd also love to know if you do 
uh, have the chance to tell me your score, uh, your meter, so as it were, with your name. So your Bob O-meter or Sarah O-meter, uh, if you want to call it that. Um, and uh, yeah, so so get in touch with me, and we'll be back again next Monday with our spookiest story yet because that is halloween next monday at the time of this recording next monday will be halloween 2022 so we'll we'll come back with a, a really good one to wrap up our spooky series here on from the top make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you are notified when the latest episode drops you can send us a voicemail through the spotify app if you'd like and I'll try to address it here on our next show. That'll be another fun segment, wouldn't it? And uh, let's see what else you can do. You can write us a quick review on the podcast listening platform of your choice. Let us know how we're doing. I would appreciate that. Always open to constructive criticism, constructive feedback. Be sure to follow us on social media as well on on the Facebook, on uh, the Instagram. We're not on the Twitter. And uh, there's a reason for that, but I don't need to get into that. And until next time, my name is Jake Lewis. I will see you again from the top.